When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Logan Paulson there. Craig Hoffman here. Make sure you are subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. If you're a listener, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening right now. Of course, on YouTube, full episodes at uh, 106.7 The Fan. Uh, and I post some clips at Craig Hoffman as well. All right, Logan, let's get into the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, Falcons offense that looked a lot better lot last better. week. Like I would say, uh, you know, coming out of that Chicago game, everyone's like, oh, dang, this sucks. But hey, opportunity for a get right game uh, against the Falcons because they're not very good offensively. And they, they then went out on that Sunday and had their best performance of the year. It is a very unique team schematically. Sure. Uh, fortunately, the commanders have played them multiple years in a row, which I guess yeah. is probably helpful. Um, but they haven't played them with Bijan yet. And all of a sudden they got a, they got a, a brand new toy at running back who does a lot more than just run the football. Sure. So I'd say that high level, I think that the Atlanta Falcons are basically the San Francisco 49ers, just to give you like a comparison. And obviously stylistically, just before anybody goes nuts in the comments, stylistically, they're the San Francisco 49ers, obviously not talent wise. Yeah. They're not the same talent. They don't have the same level of coach. It's, but in terms of what they want to be, they're going to be an outside zone team. They're going to run play action. They're going to run keepers. They're going to um, find ways to get their unique skill position players the ball in specific situations. Now, they don't have the same like yards after the catch ability that they've cultivated in San Francisco. Obviously, in San Francisco, they got Ayuk, they got Samuel, they got McCaffrey. They got these kind of this plethora of guys that can catch the ball and make something happen. This skill position group is kind of drastically different, I would say. They've got big, tall, physical receivers like Matt Collins like everyone's seen that video of him on Instagram like he looks like a, a defensive end he's a big man who's physical special teams ace tough guy Drake London big great short area quickness great at 50 50 contested catches Kyle Pitts kind of that freak unicorn big huge man who can run really well like that is what their skill position group is and then you got Bijan Robinson Algiers uh Cordell Patterson will be back this week a big physical athletic guy who again kind of fits more in that San Francisco mold of, mold of a guy who can create uh create something after the catch but that's kind of what you're looking at and 
it all, all the whole offense stems off the running game, stems off the play action, stems off the keepers, stems off moving the pocket and finding creative ways to get those playmakers the football. They are, again, I said they're, they're San Francisco. They are San Francisco without a guy who can distribute the football like Brock Purdy. That is the biggest difference right now. And I think last week you saw for the first time Desmond Ritter kind of lean into that role a little bit more and distribute the football better. Get the call, get the ball to Kyle Pitts. He was 70 for 71 or 75, something like that. Drake London, I think, was six for 85, you know, with a touchdown late in the game to seal the deal. Like he was giving those guys opportunities in good situations. I will say, despite him playing so well, he still he gives you opportunities to intercept the football. He 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 makes bad decisions. He puts it in tight windows. Um, but they don't leverage him too much. They don't leverage him too much in terms of having to make decisions all the time. I will say when you watch that Houston game, Houston, man, they are flying around defensively. Like that D'Amico, Ryan, San Francisco defense is awesome. You know, like they do a great job of like wide nines, running to the football, physical, aggressive, all that kind of stuff. And it's and they were able to stop the run and they put the ball in Desmond Ritter's hands. But I will say, this is this is maybe the most important thing about the Falcons, if there's all this information we just dropped, is Houston was never able to change the game flow. And what I mean by that is they were never able to put them in a situation where they're down two scores and they needed to stop running the ball. So they were able to run the ball right. for all four quarters, even though it wasn't the most efficient thing ever. And they were able to um, kind of stay within in, in the pocket of what they wanted to be from a play-action standpoint, which, again, makes easier throws and e- easier opportunities for Desmond Ritter. Like, that is what this offense is, and it goes as Desmond Ritter goes. So if you can confuse him, if you can disguise stuff, if you can put him under pressure, like, you're going to have an awesome day. Yeah, uh, there's part of me that's excited because Desmond Ritter had maybe the best day of his career, and it's like, I don't think he just like had it click and he's awesome now. Not that he was incredible last week, but like, I'm just like, Oh, well, if he returns back to life this week, like maybe this is the turnover game for the commanders. Uh, Maybe there's some opportunities. And obviously we're going to see, you know, Percy Butler's going to be out there. Quan Martin's going to be out there. Um, And actually I want to ask you something about Quan and Forbes on the field together. Uh, Don't let me forget that before we get done with this segment. But um, I I think that the, the score thing is huge. Like in this game, your offense is your best defense. If, if Sam Howell and company can get going, on a fast start and and make put some pressure on Desmond Ritter and this offense to score, um, that's huge. But the problem is early in games. I mean, Denver, uh, obviously Chicago. Yeah. Like part of the reason some of these teams have gotten going offensively is because they've been able to run the football, yeah. and especially they've been able to get to the edge on some of these bigger yeah. plays. And like against an outside zone team, that's kind of terrifying. Like yeah. this is a big Cody Barton, Jamin Davis game. It's a big Chase Young uh, versus the run game. Um, yeah. You know, I I have concerns there, I, and I think that's rightfully so. I think they're a team that they they live and die they live and die by the sword. And what I mean by that, like teams that run the football, like as part of their identity, are always dangerous to run the football because they can run outside zone. They can run toss crack. Toss crack has absolutely murdered this team. Look at the Bills game. Look at the Broncos. Can we, can game. we break down how they defend toss crack and why sure. it's been so hard for them to do? Like what what are they trying to do and what's been the miss? So yeah. So basically what I'd say is that obviously the commanders, they run a four down front, right? And mm-hmm. so when you're running a four down front, you have four guys to defend. If you just have five offensive linemen, there's five gaps. And so what you're doing in this situation and what the commanders do is what 
let's start with Houston. Houston does a really good job because they have these crash nines. They have these wide nine techniques. They kind of blow back the edge. So those guys, they're like two gapping, but being by being hyper aggressive. Because basically you're compressing the edge enough that you're closing the C gap. So the gap inside the tight end, for example, mm-hmm. while also maintaining control of the D gap. According to stuff that Jack has said, and I've talked to people about this defense, that is what they want to do here. But it doesn't play the same way because they they ask the defensive end to be a or to be a little bit more of a read player. So instead of getting these dramatic vertical edges that box the run back in, and when and when you listen to um, the the play caller series, like that's one of the reasons D'Amico Ryan's and that defense went to a wide nine. And I and I, and I mentioned D'Amico Ryan's because he was in San Francisco when all this right. defensive innovation was going on because it boxes the offense in. And so if you are going to get a toss crack. And that guy's bulleting up the field. It forces the back to bubble in a nice way. Right. And he's like, starting in a wide nine. He's starting from wider. A, a, a wider space. Then the commanders line it up as like a six technique right on the outside shoulder of the tackle. And I think they call it a wide nine. But to me, it, it's not wide. It's like you're 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 really tight. And so that does allow you some flexibility in terms of being able to compress an edge, double gap, like play the inside gap and the outside gap. But I'm also like, if you're going to play a wide nine, play a wide nine. Look at what Cleveland's doing, like with Miles Garrett. Like they do a great job of just saying, hey, go get the football. And one of the keys of a wide nine is you are, you're stopping the run on the way to the passer. And I feel like when you watch teams that are really good at it, watch San Francisco, watch Houston, watch Cleveland, they it looks different than the commander's defense. So I feel like they're kind of in this in-between where they're not playing a true six like you a true read six like you alluded to, but they're not playing a true crash nine. And because of that, and this is just my opinion, because of that gray area, it leads to kind of these moments where it's like it's unclear of how they should play it. Because you want the benefit of the wide nine, but you're also kind of playing a little bit of a read six. So you get in this weird situation where the defensive end isn't firing up the field. So when you get a crack. Now they're kind of, I need to get up the field like I am a wide nine, but I'm not in a position or a mindset to do that consistently. So they usually get walled down. They're not getting enough penetration vertically to make the runner bounce the way you want. So they kind of are in the stage where like, I can't get to where I need to go. So do I fight back out across the guy's face versus bad leverage And when I'm actually containing the defense? So that's where I think this technique that they're playing at the moment from the defensive ends becomes really muddy from a technical standpoint when it comes to defending toss crack i think it's fine versus outside zone i think it's fine versus powers and gaps and things like that but i think that because of that gray area it makes it challenging it also creates a pretty nasty wash like it It like there's a lot of them bodies in there because obviously you have the receiver coming down to crack you got that you have the lineman who's there you have the defensive end who's now getting caught possibly getting pushed into the defensive tackle. It gets real money. There's a ton of bodies. It's hard for the linebackers to scrape over the top. Yeah. Like, And that's where it becomes, instead of like, damn, we gave up five yards, which is still not what you want against a run, it's 12. Yeah. Um, and your safety has got to make sure you come down and make a play. So it's obviously this can be a big Percy Butler game well, as well uh, as a run support player, obviously big Cam Curl game uh, as run support player. Well, to that point, I think like one of the things you see is, is because of what Toss Crack does is allows you to out leverage the defense. So I've now got a guy out of his gap, the defensive end, but I've also created really good landmarks or leverages for the offensive line because that tackle now doesn't have to reach the defensive end or, or block him out. He can just run straight to the linebacker. 
So the linebacker now has a bad leverage on the tackle. So you really need to make sure that edge is solid versus the toss crack. And it's just been a little bit muddy for my taste um, from a technical standpoint. And you can tell guys are kind of unsure in between. And then it gets to the corner and Smoot has been – you know, shouting from his milk box for weeks now about how he doesn't need a box. Fred just opens his mouth and it's he loud just, enough. But every once in a while, if you listen close enough, he says insightful football stuff. I, don't <laughs> tell him I said that. But he says those corners got to come up and cut the tackle, cut the tackle, cut the first puller. Because as much as there's a pile where the defensive end is, the corner has the ability to cut that guy's outside leg and make a pile there and force the ball back to make that run a little bit easier for the linebacker. So mm. there are some things that. And again, I don't know what they're being coached. That's Fred's experience. Obviously, Greg William was was his coordinator, hyper aggressive, different approach, different perspective. But as a, as a guy that was the fir- first puller quite a bit in truck and toss crack schemes, I'll tell you the worst thing I could see out there was a corner cutting me down because I want to go smoke the corner. I want to go hit the corner right in the face. He's 160 pounds. Let's go get it. Yeah, you want to cut- drive him out of the sideline and create an alley for yeah. the running back to go through instead of a pile for him to have to jump over. But when he cuts your outside leg, you have to meet the, – the, the coaching point is meet the cutter. So I have to drop my head down. We have to go helmet to helmet, and make and it makes a big pile right there. So it just allows pursuit to get there in a, in a, in a way that um, is, is, hel- is, is difficult for the offense to contend with. So I think there's a lot of things there in terms of toss crack that's challenging from a schematic standpoint – that you see that you saw in the Denver game that you saw in the um in the in the Buffalo game like for example in the Buffalo game I'm I'm rambling now a little bit one of the things that stood out to me is Jamin Davis makes an incredible play on a toss crack but he's defeating a guard he's defeating a receiver to get there in time to make the play and it's just like that doesn't seem like a solution that I want to be living with long term as a guy having to defeat two blocks and run 25 yards to the sideline to make a tackle like it's uh, that's something they definitely got to get cleaned up, I think, and I think they will um, because you have to in this league, or someone's gonna—they're just gonna continue to run it until it, until it's uh, until you until you stop it. So, hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely a challenge, and you know, you know, Arthur Smith's the kind of coach that if you find something he likes, he'll continue to go to it. So, sure. um, it's going to be challenging. Um, I think one, you know, we've talked about some of the guys that haven't played at all defensively this year, mainly Quan, who's going to get on the field. Um, I do wonder if there's any struggle in this game, considering the opponent. If we see any David Mayo, um, that could be an mm-hmm. interesting thing, kind of to watch a guy who's very, you know, we've talked about David Mayo is a really good football player from the who, who got born at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, you know, if he's right. playing in in 2004, like David Mayo is like, ah, man, what a great middle linebacker. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's a good run player. Um, so could he get out on the field if Cody struggles with some great of his hits? Um, you know, if they want to get a little more speed out there, they could obviously go the Cleek Hudson route. So that's something I think to watch the question I wanted to ask about Quan and Emmanuel though. Um, you know, Wednesday practice, which is all we have to go on, uh, for those that don't know, we record this on Thursday mornings, uh, comes out Thursday afternoon, Friday morning. Um, so we haven't had Thursday practice yet, but it looked like Danny Johnson was getting some of the reps, uh, ahead of Emmanuel Forbes and, the last time we saw Forbes and Martin on the field together was the preseason game where they give up a big play miscommunication. Like I kind of wonder if 
some of the the concern about Emmanuel is like, oh God, we got to play Quan too. Um, like, do you think there's any concern of having them on the field together and get and, and perhaps there's even more impetus to get a veteran like Danny out there um, in some situations with Quan as they package things together um, instead of Forbes and, and having that risk of two rookies messing something up uh, from a, a we don't really understand what we're doing yet because we're five games or six games into our NFL careers. No, I think there is. You know, and again, I don't know what the coaching staff is thinking. I'm just thinking, based on my experience in the past, like there's always a concern with that. Anytime there's a young football player and who doesn't really know, and like there's 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 grades to this. Like there's certain young guys who come in and they know yeah, there's, everything. There's a sliding scale, right? But if there's a guy you're a little uncertain about, like you want to make sure they're in there with somebody who can help them. And like it's the same thing with tight ends. Like there's very like, a little bit of it was like this with Jordan, a little bit. You know, he'd come in and be like, wouldn't remember the play exactly or wouldn't remember the motion. And I was there in certain situations. Like, hey, man, just, you know, you got the Eddie. Oh, yeah, I got you. Because he's a smart guy. He studies a lot, but he's got a lot in on his plate. So it's just nice to have someone in there that can help you out. So uh, I think um, in in this situation, yeah, you want people who – you don't want the blind leading the blind is basically what I'm saying. Like you see this a lot with like offensive linemen too, guys that are working together quite a bit, is if there's two young guys, it's worrisome. If there's a young guy and a veteran – that guy, that veteran's always there to be like, hey, man, remember, bang, combination, this is what we're going to do. And he can communicate and kind of get those techniques Techniques, coach. So I, I think, yes, if I was a coach, which I'm not a coach for the commanders, I would be concerned about it. And it's something yeah. that in the week I would want to make sure I felt good about. When whether And whether that means Danny plays more or Forbes plays, you know, whatever that rotation is. But I want to make right. sure that there are two guys, there one of those guys knows what the heck is going on yeah so i wonder if it what it winds up being because they do package this stuff like you know is emmanuel out there in true nickel where it's emmanuel saint juice fuller and two safeties butler and and curl and then when it's buffalo is danny out there um and whether he's in the slot or whether he's outside um i would think you'd probably put him in the slot just leave benjamin outside but you know they put they put danny outside last week and yeah. We'll see. Point is, like, there's a way to do that where Emmanuel is still playing. He's not fully benched, but you take yeah. some off of his plate. You also know now you've got to get Quan out there because you lost Forrest and Reeves, but you don't ever have them out there together. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that I think that's interesting to watch uh, this weekend. All right. What I mean, else? Uh, the other thing is, you don't want it yeah. to be too complicated from a personnel standpoint. You don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. You want to find the sim- you want simpler. Easy is better, and whatever that looks right. like, I think is right. the. But is those the they treat those as different packages, so like they I don't do. actually yep. know so how complicated be, that yep. is. Like, yeah, hey, right. we're in Buffalo. All right, Danny's out there. Um, you know, I guess it becomes complicated for for St. Juice. Like, hey, right. dude, where are you on these? But plays? they've been doing, but like to your point, they've been doing that this whole season. He's been in yeah. and out. He's been bumping inside, outside. So he's had a lot on his plate for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. What else from this Atlanta offense is worth noting before we uh, see how Sam Howell and company can attack the the Falcons defense? Yeah, um, it's we, we talked about the playmakers. We talked about the game flow. I, I really think that's the crux of what's going on here with them. Um, Kyle Pitts seems to be playing better. I, I, he looks like he's still not quite 100%, but like good in the run game. Better, and they got him more involved last week. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is due to Desmond Ritter just playing better football. So um, I, I, I kind of wonder, I talked to Fred about this a little bit, Tana, like, you know, they've got some big, big receivers. Like, how does that affect you? I think that's probably a favorable matchup for you know St. Juice, I think Fuller because uh, Kendall because there's not like a lot of speed on the field you feel a little bit better about it um, so I think that's probably a good matchup the offensive line is one I find really interesting they're starting a rookie left guard Matthew Bergeron and that's a matchup yeah that's a that's a 
that's a matchup that I think John should be able to exploit. And I think, you know, Jake Matthews, good, good left tackle, probably a top 12 guy at the position. Bergeron centers. Okay. Chris Lindstrom's probably the best, one of the best guards in football at the moment. So him versus Payne will be really interesting. And then Caleb McGarry is kind of one of these like hulking, super run blocking right tackles like he's might be the best run blocking right tackle in the nfl so watching him against montez who again is one of the best edge setting defensive ends in the nfl i think will be a really interesting matchup and that's something that they're gonna do a lot in this game like they're gonna run the ball they're gonna be physical and really it just comes down to th- this is this is something i wanted to point out too just from a mindset standpoint this is a team that plays hard they play physical mm. they play tough so you know, all this talk about, you know, guys not being ready or guys not wanting it. Like this is a game where you shut people up about that. If you come out and you say this team is trying to be physical, they're trying to punch us in the mouth. And it's not just the old Lions punching people in the mouth. Algiers runs maybe the hardest running running back in the end. He runs hard. You know, they have a fullback, Kendall Smith. Like he, he's an excellent blocker. He's an excellent pass catcher. They got big receivers who block you know, like they are going to come after you and they are going to draw like Johnu Smith is one of the best blocking tight ends in, in the NFL from like a physicality standpoint. So you, they're going to draw a line in the sand and they're going to say, are you going to step to this? You're going to back up. And I really think if, if, if fans say that this isn't important, they don't care about this team doesn't care. Like this is going to be a really good litmus test for that because it's going to be a physical, tough matchup. And it's it's going it, to it's going to feel like a very traditional football game and what i mean by that is something from like the late 90s early 2000s where it's like we're gonna we're gonna do what we do you're gonna do what you do and let's see what happens so i I think that i'm kind of excited for that matchup because i think it's gonna help kind of inform like where this defense is at yeah um so a couple of notes real quick Uh, i was i was doing some prep this morning and pff and their daily email sent out their offensive line rankings atlanta comes in at sixth you're talking about one of the best uh in the league uh but caleb mcgarry was banged up last week left the game he's officially questionable um arthur smith said it's nothing major but it's still unclear whether or not he's going to play so we will obviously see on that the backup fun story about him uh Storm Norton is that his name? Storm. Yeah, uh, Storm Storm Norton. So he played last time I saw him play extended time was when he was in uh, San Diego or L.A. The L.A. Chargers. Montez Sweat had two sacks and a forced fumble against him. So Montez Sweat wants that guy to play so bad, and I think if he does play, <laughs> that's going to be a um, a tough. They're going to run left a lot. Yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup for for Storm. But old Storm Norton. Yeah, exactly. So, all right.